0: Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Welcome back once again to the Corner of Truth and Courage. Last week, my wife and I were taking a bit of a vacation. we got some very busy months ahead of us, so we took the opportunity to get away. And uh, we're also celebrating a little early our 33rd anniversary. And I'm a very, very blessed man. God gave me a wonderful, wonderful wife and wonderful children. People say out there, you know, well, you know, we're against uh, those who are privileged. Well, then I guess you're against me because I'm a very privileged man. Number one, I'm privileged to know Christ as my Savior. I'm I'm so blessed that the gospel came to my address at an early age. Uh, My father and mother both were in the ministry and um, raised me in church and and raised me with Christian values, instilled into me the precepts of God's Word, and that has guided me and helped me and served me well through the years, helped me find a good wife and, and helped us to raise godly children. I just want to give thanks to the Lord here today. And of course, this is the day that we remember those who have fallen for us, for our freedom, served their nation, giving the greatest and the ultimate sacrifice here on Memorial Day. Uh, Some have asked, you know, what's the difference between Armed Forces Day and Veterans Day and Memorial Day? Aren't they all kind of the same, you know, celebrating the same people? No, it's not. Armed Forces Day is when we celebrate and remember and give thanks to those who are wearing the uniform, and they wear it for to put their own lives at risk, to provide freedom, and sanctuary for their country and for the ones that they love. Then you have the veterans. These are the people who wore the uniform and served their nation well and and took it off. They did their bit. They did their part for our nation, and we want to remember them. Then we have Memorial Day, and that's the people who put on the uniform but died wearing it. And we're grateful for all of them but especially this day as we remember those who've fallen for our nation. And uh, we want to give thanks to the families and the uh, loved ones that they left behind, the pain and that emptiness in their heart. They'll never be filled. We give thanks to them for their sacrifice for our nation's freedom. And so we give a, a prayer and thanksgiving to them all. Well, today I want to cut in to a new topic over this week. And I know the Middle East and all that situation has kind of died down a little bit. You never know when it's going to flare up again. Uh, But we had the attack of Hamas on Israel and, you know, out of Gaza. And we see constant conflict for Israel. What I want to do from time to time, it bears us well to remind ourselves, what does the Bible have to say about that land? And I want to give you a biblical perspective. Maybe you've not been listening to our program very long, and maybe you have for quite some time. You've heard me talk about this, but I'm going to cut into some more material, some new material that I want to share with you. It does us well to be reminded to what the Bible has to say about all this. We're going to get into the political stuff. We're going to call it, you know, uh, you know is it Palestine or is it Israel? Who, is, who are the rightful owners of that land, of the promised land? And the Bible has an answer for us. And I'll give you also an explanation this week as to why Muslims see it differently. Why is it that they have a different take on it? I'll explain that. You'll understand that. We'll get into the title deeds. The title deeds are, it's a document that tells us who the legal owner is and what the boundaries of that property is. We'll cut into that here actually today. When we get into Palestine, we'll go through the history of Israel from the dysphoria, from the dispersion after 70 AD, all the way up to the current time, the conflicts that they've been in, how God has miraculously watched over Israel. You cannot explain the victories that Israel has had over their Arab enemies, those who wish their destruction. You cannot explain it without bringing God into the subject. There's just no way that Israel could have defended itself against the odds that were against them. And this is a very frustrating thing for Muslims because Muslims are very annoyed and perturbed over this that their God, Allah, has not granted them victory over their enemies, Israel, even though they outnumbered Israel, even though they outgunned them, each time they've been attacked, Israel always comes out on top, and they can't figure it out why Allah has not granted them victory over the Jewish God, Jehovah. Hopefully today, if you listen to all these broadcasts, it will be a help to you, and I want to begin by taking you to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, we have in the first three verses what we call the Abrahamic covenant. This is a, a covenant that God is making with Abraham. Now, first of all, everything that's in this world belongs to God. God has the authority to give land to whom he chooses to give land. And you're going to find it in this covenant, there's a piece of real estate that's attached to it. And so let's begin reading in verse number one, passages I'm sure you're familiar with. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. So as I just said, there's a piece of real estate. There is a land location that God designed to belong to Abraham and his descendants, Verse 2, and I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now near the end of the week, we'll talk about what happens to the nations that cursed Israel. We'll look at the downfall of a great, powerful Western nation that used to rule the world and is real soon to come under the domination of Islam if it doesn't change its ways. There's a lot to cover here, and it all takes part in these three verses. So God said to Abraham, get you away from your country, from your father's house, and I'm going to take you to a land, and I'm going to you know make you a great nation there, and I'm promising this to you. You're going to be blessed. You'll be, because of the blessing that I'm giving to you, you'll be able to be a blessing to many others. And if anyone curses you, they're going to be cursed. And so um, let's look into where is this land and to whom of Abraham's descendants does it belong? Because we're going to have this big question here real soon. Does it belong to Ishmael, the firstborn son? Or does it belong to the first promised son, Isaac? If we go to chapter 15, we have what I call the first title deed, and a ceremony takes place. Now, I'm not sure if this is God following a man-made ceremony of how contracts are made, because historically we see this going on. Is God just kind of following a, a way that man makes contracts with each other, or is man following God's way of making a contract? Because in chapter 15, God tells Abraham to take a heifer, take a a she-goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon, and to cut these animals in part, except for the fowl, and uh, divide them from one side to another. Now, we know that It became customary, if you were entering into a contract with a person, you would join together in a sacrifice, cut the animal in half, put it on one side, and the both of you would walk and pass between the two of these uh, halves of the animal, thus sealing an agreement between the two of you. And so uh, this process is about to take place. Then we find in verse number 12, and as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. So Abraham has made the preparation for this contract to be done, but then God causes him to fall asleep. Now, we have a few verses that transpire here, and in verse 13 through 14, God prophesies that his descendants are going to be taken into captivity for 400 years. But when they come out, they'll come out with great wealth. Well, we know that happened, that transpired. When Israel went into captivity into Egypt there, when God delivered them, they came out with great wealth and great means. And God blessed them with great substance. Now we get down to verse number 16 of Genesis chapter 15, verse number 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. So Abraham didn't walk through the sacrifice area, sealing his part of the covenant. Only God went through alone. And so this agreement is a unilateral agreement. It's not a bilateral agreement based on man's ability and God's ability to perform it. God took it fully upon himself He said, listen, this this contract is for your blessing, but I'm not going to make you responsible to bring it to pass. I'm going to do it. It's all going to be upon me. And he went through the sacrifice himself, not Abraham. Now we come to what I call the first title deed. A title deed establishes boundaries and establishes legal ownership. Verse 18, And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, unto thy seed have I given this land. Now we come up to the boundary. So we know who the legal owner is, Abraham and his descendants, his seed from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So somewhere the Western boundary is the river of Egypt and the Eastern boundary is the river Euphrates. Then we come down to chapter 16, and now we're brought into touch with the firstborn son of Abraham. It wasn't the son that God had promised. Abraham thought God needed a hand. And I'm here to tell you, every time we interject ourselves and interfere with God's way and God's plan, we're going to make a mess of things, and that's exactly what Abraham does here, Sarah comes to him, says, "Listen, I'm barren. We're getting old. Uh, I have a handmaid, uh, the, uh, my Egyptian handmaid Hagar. She's my servant. I'm gonna. I want you to take her, make her your wife, and have a child. She'll be my surrogate. And in a sense, you're having a child through me, but through Hagar." And Abraham listens to the advice of his wife. I wrote in the margin of my Bible here uh, in verse number four, and he went unto Hagar and she conceived there. And I, I wrote down in the margin of my Bible, the second most destructive act in the Bible. The first one was when Adam and Eve sinned and it just so happens, now, <laughs> of course, I could you know, jokingly preach a message on this, you know, what happens when husbands listen to their wives? <laughs> because on both of these occasions, the two most destructive actions that ever occurred in history is when the husbands are listening to, the wife, uh, to their wives' advice. Eve said, here, take eat, it's good uh, to eat. And he disobeyed God and took and ate of the fruit that Eve gave him. And here, Abraham is listening to the advice of... Of his wife Sarah, he has uh, takes Hagar now to be his second wife, has uh, um, consummates that marriage, and she is now with child. We're going to have to stop there, but when we come back, we'll get to chapter 17, because God then establishes the second, what we call, title deed, and we're told in chapter 17 clearly which son gets it. Is it going to go to Ishmael, the firstborn, or is it going to go to Isaac? So join us tomorrow at the corner of truth and courage. God bless you.